Well, we all knew Her Majesty the Queen would one day die, but I agree with the person who said we half thought the Queen would live forever. For many people, she's been at the centre of national identity for their whole life. Many of us will not remember another monarch. Her death came suddenly, and many of us will have been deeply moved, encountering feelings of love or admiration for Queen Elizabeth we hadn't felt so strongly before. And so up and down the country, ministers and preachers have been busily adapting preparations for today's services. In particular, many churches will have changed the Bible readings they had planned in recognition of this sad occasion. But for us, actually, there was no need to change our Bible reading. I said last week that we would be beginning a new series of sermons looking at the first letter of Peter. And we begin today with chapter 1, verses 1 to 12, and we'll carry on 1 Peter all the way until Advent. And the reason there's no need to change is because this letter begins by reminding us of the hope we have in the face of suffering and death. The hope the Queen had as she approached her own death because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. For all who've put their faith in Jesus, this world is not our home. We are citizens of a world to come. That is where we belong. And for as long as we live this life, we live as strangers in the world. We're called by God to love the people around us and to serve them. But this is not because we belong to the world. It's because we belong to Jesus, who has overcome the world. And now having served her people, the Queen is at rest with Jesus as she awaits the dawning of that new world in the age to come. Before we carry on into the letter, let's bow our heads and pray. A loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope we have of a world to come. We thank you that our late Queen is living in the light of that hope now by the side of her Saviour Jesus Christ. And we pray you'd lift our eyes up to him this morning. Heavenly Father, help us to see him and renew our confident hope and trust in him. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Well, do have your Bibles open at page 1217. And what we have here in front of us uh, is a letter written by Jesus' disciple Peter to Christians scattered across five provinces of the Roman Empire in the area that we now know as Turkey. Now have a look at uh, what Peter calls these Christians in verse 1. Have a look there with me. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He calls them God's elect, strangers in the world. God's elect means God has chosen them elected them to belong to him and be his people. Just like uh, out of all the peoples of the world, God chose the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to be his people, so now those who belong to Jesus are God's chosen people. We are his elect. And because we are his people, we are strangers in the world. 
It's a phrase which was used at the time to refer to people who were temporarily living in a place that was not their real home. So like refugees from Ukraine, hoping one day to go back to Ukraine. You can be born and bred British or born and bred Irish, but if you belong to Jesus, these countries are not your home. You are only a temporary resident here. Later in the letter, Peter will talk about how we used to live as citizens of this world, under the influence and power of evil. But now he says in verse 2, we have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling with his blood. In other words, uh, for you to be uh, among the elect was God's plan all along. His foreknowledge means his plan. All along, he planned for you to be part of his people. And that plan was put into effect by the Holy Spirit who sanctified you, who set you apart from the world where you were under the power of evil, set you apart so that you could be free from sin, free to obey Jesus. And that means that we might often feel out of place and under pressure. Imagine how unfamiliar Northern Ireland seems to a Ukrainian refugee. Different language, different food, different schools, different TV. Well, in the same way, because we are God's elect, living for Jesus, uh, even though we are not literal refugees, we may often feel like strangers whose beliefs and values don't match or fit in with the culture around us. But like the Queen, we live knowing that after all our struggles and trials, we will one day come home. We are God's elect, strangers in the world. And most of the rest of the passage from verses three down to nine expands on those two ideas. Verses three to five tell us more about what it means to be God's elect. And verses six to nine spell out what it's like to be strangers in the world. So let's start with verses three to five, what it means to be God's elect. And for starters, it's a cause for celebration. We should be filled with joy. Look at verse three. Verse three, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter's so joyful that he bursts out in praise. Why? Because in his great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. A true Christian is someone who has been born again into a life of unconquerable hope. And that is cause of praise because we're born the first time into a life that ends with death. Everything we inherit, Everything we own or acquire will fade and perish along with us. Each new generation's future is to join the generations of the past as they die and get laid down among the dead. It's a life without hope. But then came the day when among the billions sleeping in the great graveyard of the dead, one man stood up. He stood up and walked out of his tomb and into a new life and a new world beyond the reaches of death and decay. The life of the resurrection is life forever. 
And when we put our trust in Jesus and received his Holy Spirit, that is the life we were joined to. A new life was birthed in you, a life flowing from beyond death, a life death cannot touch, a life in which you share in the power of Jesus' resurrection. When her father was crowned George VI, Princess Elizabeth gained a tremendous inheritance, thrones, titles, palaces. Yet when she died, she left it all behind. She had to. We bring nothing into the world and we take nothing out. But through faith in the resurrected Jesus, she was born again into an inheritance that cannot be broken or spoiled by sin or left behind because it belongs to Jesus and he can never die. And it's the same for us. Jesus' resurrection was a victory over death for all God's elect. His resurrection guarantees our resurrection. We're not simply waiting to, uh, to die and go to heaven. We go to heaven to await the resurrection. Because the inheritance Jesus won for us isn't to be uh, souls floating in space. Our inheritance will be to join him in his resurrection as the future population of a whole new earth. We are strangers in this dying world because we are citizens of the living world to come. Right now though, we must wait. But will we manage it? Will we remain obedient to Jesus till we die or he returns? Or will we turn our backs on him? Under the pressures of life, will we turn back to our old lives? You know, some Christians come under huge pressure, either from their culture or from suffering or from their own sinful desires to turn back, to give up on Jesus. But Peter reassures us in verse six, the elect are being guarded by God's power all the way until our salvation is revealed, all the way until Jesus returns and we come into our inheritance. You may be feeling weak, but God is guarding you through faith. You trust in him, your trust in him, which he empowers, will keep and protect you all the way until you are safely home. But until you're home, you will face all the pressures of being a stranger in the world. Many of us have faced those for decades. And that brings us to our second point, what it's like to be strangers in the world. This is verses six to nine. We've seen so far that with the future Jesus has won for us, we have every reason to rejoice, but life isn't easy. Look at how Peter puts it in verse six. He says to his readers, you rejoice in the hope you have, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. We don't belong to this world and often we feel it acutely. We have been rescued for eternal life, but so often we come face to face with death, our own or the death of someone we love. We've been rescued for obedience to Jesus, but so often we are gripped by the temptation to sin. We've been rescued to live in peace, 
But so often we struggle with mental health problems or debt we can't afford to pay or unemployment and instead of peace there is stress and there's fear. So we rejoice, but we also suffer all kinds of grief. But that suffering is not a sign that God is weak or that he doesn't love you or isn't in control. In fact, it's necessary. God uses it to ensure that your faith leads all the way to praise and glory and honor for you when Jesus is revealed. God has your future glory in mind when suffering comes your way. Have a look with me at verse seven. Peter says, these trials have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In other words, our faith is like gold. It's precious. And so it's worth removing the impurities. Of course, gold isn't nearly as precious as faith. In the end, gold perishes, and gold can't be taken with you when you die. But nevertheless, it has significant value, and when it's pure, it lasts for centuries. And so what do we do? We heat it to a thousand degrees to burn out anything that shouldn't be there. Putting gold in the fire doesn't destroy it. It purifies it so that it lasts. And our pain and suffering does the same. It purifies our faith, removing its weaknesses, teaching and training us to depend with all our might on God and not ourselves. Suffering stops us being complacent, stops us drifting, and forces us to depend more and more on God for our strength and support, so that we last. And just like pure gold is polished till it shines, when Jesus is revealed on the day he returns, we will be revealed along with him in glory and honor to the praise of all creation. And so even in our suffering, even when things seem dark and Jesus seems distant, we can rejoice because our suffering and our waiting is not wasted. Verse eight, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see Jesus now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We may be strangers in the world, but we are elect strangers. We've been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is the salvation the Old Testament prophets long to see, even angels long to look into it, and now it is ours. And so whatever griefs we're facing, whatever trials are going, uh, you're going through right now, however much of a stranger being a Christian makes us feel at times, we have reasons to rejoice with inexpressible joy. God has chosen us. We have unconquerable hope, and we will be revealed with Jesus in glory when he returns. And so as we look to him, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you rose from the dead, conquering death, 
and that now you live life forever where there is no death, no decay, and that you share that life with us by your spirit. Thank you that you are guarding us through faith until either we die or you return. And we praise you that you will reveal us with you in glory. Help us to stand firm, rejoicing in our hope. And we ask this in your precious name. Amen.